This is the Mormon Expression Podcast. Find us on the web at mormonexpression.com. Okay, uh, welcome back to another edition of Mormon Expression. I'm your host, John Larson. Tonight we're going to talk to another one of our regular panelists, um, the one and only Jim. Jim, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, Jim's been with us from the beginning, haven't you? Yes. So you're one of our ex-Mormons. If I understand right, you have resigned, right? Uh, I haven't uh, officially resigned from the church, but mentally I've resigned. Okay, so you, you still have your membership like I do. Yeah, I, I'm still on the books. I, I just don't want, I mean, and I've told this to the stake presidents and, and home teachers that have came, come by. I've said, you know, they asked, you know, are you going to resign? What are you going to do? Because they were kind of fishing for if they had to start up a church court or not. And I'm, I said, you know, it, it's it's my time to even write a letter to you to even express, you know, my, my disdain. I'm just, uh, you know, it's just hands off. Okay, that makes sense. So are you still in the same stake that um, you were in when you were an active member? No. Um, I, I grew up in several stakes and several wards uh, in Las Vegas, and I moved to the Mid-South uh, about, uh, it's almost been three and a half years now here in the Mid-South. So I moved, you know, grew up in Las Vegas and then moved uh, out to a very different uh, section of the country. So you you've, you were never active in the South then? Never. I was never active in the South. I, I've been out of the church since, uh, for four and a half, five years now uh, and uh, moved here, you know, three years ago, a little over three. Now your family still goes? Yeah. Uh, my father actually has left the church uh, after I did. Um, he's really the only one, uh, outside of the church. Um, I, I kind of have a complicated story of, of how I was raised in the church and, and, you know, my parental situation, but we can get into that. Okay. And I take it your wife still goes? Yeah. My wife is very active. Uh, she takes the children as well. Um, I guess it's good cause I get to sleep in on Sundays and get a break from, uh, the kind of the tedious nature of parenthood so for for three hours so that that is a plus but and my wife enjoys it and you know she's a very dedicated member of the church and it's it's been a constant balancing act uh, since I decided to leave the church uh, you know between us we, we've managed though to keep our marriage strong you know it hasn't been easy but uh, you know she's still very dedicated to the church yeah, even for people who um, leave the church together, you know, my wife and I, we basically left the church together, but the rules sort of change, you know, the you have sex roles that are defined by the church, and your relationship is defined by the church, and I, I don't care if one stays in and one goes out, or that you both go out, or even the case when you both stay in and just kind of change your belief, you're going to have to do some renegotiation. Certainly. I mean, the, the boundaries change and the, uh, I guess the, how you define your relationship is modified because before you had this kind of three party system of my, you know, your 
yourself and your 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 partner and the church you know but and by even just one of you leaving the church you're cutting off the church so it's it is only that that kind of uh two party system after that you know instead of the three party system right and and you know people naturally change as they get older but i mean that's a huge change when you leave the church and so you know in in essence you're both married to different people than when you started very true and and you know we've said exactly that uh that you know my wife wouldn't probably recognize who I am today you know from when we first got married 6 years ago right so let's go back to the beginning um you know we talked uh, on our last podcast about uh ex-mormon narrative so we have to follow the formula of course um so when when do you think you first um started doubting or first had uh, cracks in your testimony I started doubting uh when I was uh 16 uh 17 uh you know it's just I changed the crowd that I hang hung out with you know I got heavily into uh the IT industry at that point even in high school and so I was hanging with a different crowd of of individuals um you know people twice my age uh, that helped me question you know not just religion but politics and and uh, the way you know different ways to look at 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 my life outside of you know what a, the very uh confined you know, lifestyle that I had at that point and you know I just observed and what really I think uh was the catalyst of of my starting to question was the internet you know and People, you know, can try to discount the internet as as part of what will change the church, but you know, I really strongly think that you know the the internet is having a, a clear impact uh, on on Mormonism itself. I started doubting, uh, you know, like I said when I was uh, you know a late teenager, and then that doubt uh, just ballooned until you know, and, and you know, we'll get into it later, but. Until I, you know, could eventually take that the steps that I could. When you're a kid, especially when you're a late teenager and you you live with you know Mormon family, it's very difficult to to step outside that. Yeah. So, how much of it do you think was just normal teenage rebellion versus having serious, um, informed doubts? Uh, yeah, that's, I don't know, it's a good question. Uh, a lot of it was just kind of, you know, I want to do the opposite of, you know, what my parents and, and, you know, my family, uh, has, has taught me, but, you know, it's at the same time, yeah, it was a lot of kind of just questioning everything that I could, uh, about, you know, my, my, the way I live or, where I lived or the cultural beliefs that I had. Um, but yeah, I, I could see that there is a little bit of, you know, teenage angst, you know, that, that goes along with that. So, so did you, were you active during that time as a priest? Yes. Uh, I was active, uh, in the church pretty much up until the, the day that I 
decided to only not go to church any longer, uh, finally not attend, you know, four, four and a half, five years ago. Uh, you know, I, I served a mission, uh, held, you know, various callings in the church. And so, yeah, you could definitely say that I was an active member uh, of Mormonism. So now, um, when I was 16, uh, the Internet really wasn't around. What, what sort of resources were available on the Internet to uh, young Jim at the time? <laughs> well, I mean, I remember uh, using kind of the first uh, archaic search engine, Alta Vista, and I Googled Mormon. And I was just kind of surprised at what I had found. It was just this whole other world of, of information. And at the time, you know, I, I really can remember this visceral kind of reaction, kind of this fight or flight uh, elevation of, uh, you know, stress, you know, stress levels when you, when I read things that were contrary to what I was taught about the church, you know, I learned about, um, you know, the, the, uh, treasure digging of Joseph Smith and, you know, the, you know, polygamy that Joseph Smith had practiced, you know, all things that I had, you know, heard very small hints about not necessarily the treasure digging but the polygamy um but various you know questionable things you know all and to be quite honest a lot of it was you know bunk and, and you know a lot of that evangelical fervor uh, that uh, uh is that we talked about in the last episode yeah i was wondering who was putting stuff up at that time most of the the big ex-Mormon organizations weren't even around, I don't think. So it, was it mostly evangelical stuff? It was mostly evangelical stuff, and, and also I spent a lot of time on uh, on IRC chat as well. And I'd kind of pop into evangelical uh, chat rooms and just kind of stir the pot. You know, all I'd have to do is just say... Hi, I'm so I'm I'm so and so, uh, and they'd ask, "Oh, what congregation do you go to?" to you know, or have you accepted Christ? And I'm like, "Yeah, I I've uh, accepted Christ, and I'm a Mormon." And then you know, just you'd get this flood of of uh, you know private messages. And and uh, let me specify, <laughs> RC's internet relay chat. It's it's basically a the the, the uh, an internet chat room board system. Yeah, the old chat from the old days. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, also a lot of the uh, the news groups, uh, you know, Usenet alone is just a wealth of of you know pro and uh, con information for Mormonism. So I, I take it that um, some things at that time stuck, and others kind of uh, you hinted at that you could see they were kind of uh, distortions. Yeah, to be. Uh, if I were to be honest, at that time, I was really in full denial mode, uh, and they were just a quote-unquote flood of anti-Mormon lies. And so when I would look at that, I would you know, try to defend it as best I could, not succeed at it very well, but uh, you know, I, was, I was trying to defend the faith at the time, and I guess you could kind of consider me a, a, kind of an apolog a teenage apologist. Um, so never was any good at it, but, you know, I, <laughs> I tried. <laughs> so um, how did your mission shape your testimony? Was it uh, a, a positive, a negative, a, a wash? 
it was a wash. Um, I learned a lot about myself on my mission, so you know, I I don't want to say that it was a total waste of time, but at the same time, uh, it taught me a lot about the 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 structure of the LDS organization uh, and what their motives are. You know, what they care cared about the most. Uh, you know, it was a numbers game. Uh, there was a, so much political infighting, you know, with the missionaries for, for leadership spots, you know, and once you get into a leadership spot, you, you had a lot of pressure on you to perform and to kind of pull numbers out of your ass. Yeah, it's amazing. It's kind of a microcosm of the business world, but since they're, oh, how would I say it? Kind of unsophisticated 19 and 20 year olds, it's less, it's more out there. You know, they're not as, um, coy about it you know so in in that sense i i think i learned a lot about human nature on my mission from observing other missionaries yeah i mean and i also you know it was the first time i'd i'd really been away from that my house you know i i guess you could consider you know myself a very shy kid before i went on my mission and i came back more able to communicate with others uh in a in a rational manner that kind of is counterintuitive but you know um i uh you know i learned to talk to people uh and come out of my shell on my mission so it sounds like nothing earth shattering i mean the experience you describe would be described by 90 percent of the return missionaries be they faithful or or whatnot yeah um so you, you come home yeah i assume you go back to school yeah i go back to school um and jump into the computer industry and, and main, mainly writing software and uh, doing IT at that point. Of course, IT puts you in front of computers all the time. I, one time I did an informal survey, uh, people on the chat boards, and I found about 50% of them were connected to software or IT in some aspect. So that might not be a healthy occupation for people's testimonies there's a warning out to you church church authorities yeah i I mean i remember when i left the church initially um you know in my first real strong days when i actually decided to be vocal about my distaste for for mormonism (laughs) you know i was in front of a computer uh eight hours a day and you know if i wasn't working i was you know on the boards you know messaging and you know, trying to get feedback for, you know, my, my state of mind at the time. So, um, following the standard Mormon pattern, I assume not long after that, you met your uh, wife. Yeah. Uh, I actually met, went to, went to high school with my wife, uh, but we didn't date until, uh, I had come back from my mission. Uh, she had gone away to school, uh, and, we started corresponding and she came back to Las Vegas, uh, following school. We got married a year later. And she was raised LDS also? Very LDS. Yes. So when did she first, um, either hear from you or figure out that you had uh, doubts? Uh, about a year before I decided to, uh, fully cut my ties with with the church, uh, I had expressed my doubts. I was, uh, reading, uh, Carl Sagan's Demon Haunted Wolf 
at the time uh, I had finished it and said, you know, I, what am I doing? You know, I can't keep accepting something that I know isn't fact. And she, uh, she kind of freaked out, you know, with, and I think if I were in her situation, if I were in her shoes, I, I don't blame her. Um, but she, she kind of freaked out and said, okay, you know, we'll, uh, we'll work on it. You can do whatever you want to do. And I decided to keep going at the time, uh, to keep attending. Uh, and then we had moved, uh, and, you know, some time after that, and we were in a new ward. I didn't uh, have any ties to that ward, and I decided to take the step at that time to finally, finally cut ties with the church. Yeah, it, it becomes a lot easier. I know for my wife and I, um, that's what helped us go inactive because we moved wards, had no ties, had no real desire to go. Where if we had stayed in the ward we were in before, where we had friends and connections, it would have been much more difficult. I would assume we would have eventually still departed, but it wouldn't have been as easy. So, I mean, you know, there's, I guess, truth in what the church says about keeping the uh, inactives tied into the group. Um, And you can take that either good or bad, you know. Well, certainly. I mean, well, just because, you know, it works doesn't necessarily mean it proves the church true. Right, right. So how do you... um, how do you negotiate the family situation today? I mean, that seems to be one of the big sticky spots for a lot of um, interfaith couples like yourselves. Yeah. We, uh, we just try to compromise and, you know, make sure that the rules are clearly defined. Uh, she, I, you know, my rule is, you know, I never want to go to church because I feel it's, you know, um, I can feel it's almost soul crushing to me to, to attend. Uh, and she, her, in her rule is that I never, you know, and I'm, I don't try to be very negative about the church, which, you know, I have to keep my mouth shut sometimes. Um, and I try not to, to actively, uh, I guess, deconvert her. It is kind of, though, you know, it is kind of the, the 400-pound gorilla on the, you know, that you try to ignore sometimes. Right. Now, you, do you all have children? Yeah, we have two kids. So uh, two girls. how do you negotiate that with the kids? Um, they're, they're at a fairly young age right now. Um, and so, and we've had discussions about it. And, you know, one thing that we've agreed on is that you know the the children will decide their activity levels and the kind of the the state right now is concerning concerning baptism is that we're not going to have them baptized when when they're 16 or 17 they can make the decision to be baptized but um my wife she uh has, uh, you know, concurred with me that an eight-year-old can't make a decision about the, where they're going to stand uh, on their religion for the rest of life at eight. True, but um, the kids are going to have a lot of pressure put on them. Uh, yeah. Uh, that, that might be more difficult to uh, 
to yeah. do than it, than it sounds at first blush. Yeah, it, it's definitely not going to be easy. Uh, it's going to be a challenge, and it's definitely not an easy thing. I, I wouldn't put anyone in this position because it's a very difficult uh, process of decision-making. So it sounds like then you guys have found your kind of peaceful spot then. Yeah, uh, you know, it's it it, uh, it definitely is. Uh, it, it can be interesting at times, but, you know, you, you make it work. So what about the ward? Do they have they all been warned off of you? Do they stay away or? <laughs> well, um, the ward uh, is uh, kind of standoffish, and I have had very lengthy discussions with uh, the stake pre or the former stake president here. He he was my home teacher, quote unquote, for a while. And, you know, we'd have very lengthy discussions, and, and he'd kind of probe me and, and talk. I mean, we'd talk for hours uh, about it. And, you know, he's also pretty heavily into business, so he's a pretty good, interesting contact to have, too, here in the, here in the area. And uh, so we, we, we have a common, I guess, line of discussion about business when it comes down to it. And, and but... Uh, the ward generally, uh, they're friendly, but uh, I guess they're not Utah about their approach, you know, if, if you get what I mean. Yeah, yeah. How close do you think they came to disciplinary action? I don't know. Um, I know for a while they were kind of, they were probing with questions about what my intent was, whether I was going to resign or not. Um, and I'm not quite sure uh, what their what their full intent was for disciplinary action, either uh, the ward where I left, you know, previously, or or the ward I'm in now. Now, do you all have home teachers in your house? We do, um, but part of the I guess the ground rules, uh, and they go along with it pretty well, is that they don't teach a lesson. They just stop in and say hi, and I'm comfortable with that. You know, as as long as you know, there's no, I guess, preaching. <laughs> so, do you attend anything like ward dinners or or? or... It, yeah, occasionally I'll go to a ward dinner with uh, with the kids and and my wife. Uh, you know, Christmas dinners or Halloween parties. You know, trunk or treating stuff like that. All right. So now going back to the um, sort of the issues that spawned this whole thing, uh, let's talk again about the things that led right up to your um, deciding it wasn't true. What do you think were the catalyst issues? Uh, it's I, I don't think I can pin it on one specific topic, but polygamy uh, and the portrayal of historical information by the mainstream church was really what what kind of pushed me out of the church the saccharine portrayal of of mormon history really got to me i remember i guess 
what the the specific moment where I I I could say that I started consciously, you know, walking towards leaving the church was uh, I had been back. I had uh, gone on a vacation with my wife back to where I served my mission uh, in uh, Minnesota, and we went to a bookstore and. I got a copy of uh, uh, Abain's uh, uh, One Nation Under Gods. Right. Uh, and, you know, not to, to push that book or anything, because it is, it is a, a evangelical piece. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it got me thinking, you know, about certain topics. And, you know, I, I you know, research a specific topic in there and say, okay, well, this, you know, this is true about the Utah war, uh, but this isn't true about, you know, some, you know, this other aspect of the Utah war. And so, you know, it, it, it gave me a starting point. And I remember sitting in, uh, in a bed and breakfast in Ashland, Wisconsin until, until the sun rose. And I was sitting there reading uh, that book, uh, until until the until dawn came and i had started you know that that evening uh that the evening prior i and you know i was you know there it, it's almost like the, there's this whole other world out there that you know of mormonism that you don't you you're not exposed to when you're a kid you know such as fascinating stuff like you know mysticism and and uh you know the kind of the the you know the almost nature of a of the mormon pioneer society that isn't sweet sweetened and and kind of trumped up you know it's it's very hardcore and gritty yeah when i first That's started when i first started studying in depth that it was like the world opening up from two dimensions to three because so much of what you get in church is is so contained and so boxed in and you find out that these were real gritty people fascinating people very interesting situations they were dealing with both for good and for bad that it was just like tasting food for the first time i mean that that hunger and that thirst to know more and more and more about it because it was just so interesting um, yeah uh so you you mentioned polygamy what about polygamy bothered you um the the i mean to be honest, and you know, I've I've kind of talked about this before in in on the boards, but I don't consider what Joseph Smith did polygamy. I consider it uh, adultery. You know, it kind of it, within the the kind of the frame of polygamy, um, at, at least initially. You know, with Fanny Alger affair and and others. You know, it it's basically an affair that turned into a legitimate polygamy or, or, you know, it turned into polygamy. If you, does that make sense? Yeah. I, I think that from my perspective, the kind of things that Joseph Smith were doing are so common among men of power, both political and religious. You see that same thing happen over and over again, where the sexual access to women becomes a commodity that the power brokers trade in. And yeah. so I mean, he obviously slapped a religious dimension on it that was codified by Brigham Young, but um, 
Yeah, I, 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 I can see where you're coming from with that. Yeah, I mean, the same thing happened in Jim Jones, uh, you know, with, with Jonestown and the People's Temple uh, and the Davidians, you name it. I mean, there's that it's easy access to, you know, women and it's easy I guess you could say for for somebody to go on a power trip and and do that, but at the same time, that that really doesn't justify those actions. Uh, um, and the you mentioned that uh, it was hard for you to deal with the whitewash nature of history. Now, do you think it was the fact that the history was being whitewashed, or the stuff that you were uncovering that bothered you? It was a little of both. Um, instead of this kind of Disney-esque view of, of Mormon history, um, I was discovering a more detailed, uh, spotty history, you know, that was full of, you know, bickering wives and land deals. Uh, you know, the, the Kirtland Bank uh, the, blew me away when I first learned about that the, the and an the actual nature of it. The anti-bank? The yeah, the Kirtland Safety Society, you know, and, and basically you know, what it looked like was a, in, is Joseph Smith had a pattern of using individuals for what he could, explaining it away through, through mysticism or religion, and then skipping town and going on to do it again. So in that that pattern really was the embodiment of my disgust of Joseph Smith, you know, and to this day. And Brigham Young pretty much took that pattern and, and turned it into a franchise. So there's a lot of um, apologists and other uh, people in the church who know about the kind of dirty history, um, but because of the spiritual aspect, because of the Revelations or the Book of Mormon or or that stuff, they're able to excuse the sort of real world behavior, you know, the banking and the property dealing and all that. D did that influence you at all? I mean, wh why is it that the uh, spiritual side, the Book of Mormon, didn't influence you more to stay in the church? Uh, because generally the the story of how, how that information came about is, didn't, I didn't accept that story. Um, the... You look at, for instance, you know, the Kirtland Temple and uh, that same pattern of, of revelation. Basically, you would fast for 24 hours, you would get them slobbering drunk, and then you would implant, you know, specific memories that would further Joseph Smith's agenda at the time. You know, things like, you know, for instance, the... You know, because for a while, even when I was growing up, you know, there was that, well, there were the witnesses to the Book of Mormon. You know, they actually saw the plates. And then when you start digging into it, you learn, well, no, they didn't actually see the plates. They saw them with their spiritual eyes. Um, and by the way, they were so snockered at the time that they could have been told that, you know, they saw the flying spaghetti monster, you know, for what that matters. Okay, so to play devil's advocate a little bit, um, you know, some of the things you're talking about here, like what happened at the Kirtland Temple or the uh, witnesses, 
uh, you might argue that the evidence either way is sort of sketchy. You know, we rely a lot on firsthand experience. So some people, um, you know, give full deference to the church's interpretation. And some people give full deference to like the anti-Mormon interpretation. Why do you think the one version of the story, you know, you it resonates more with you? Occam's razor. The simplest explanation is usually the the answer to the question. You know, did this did this miraculous, you know, once in a lifetime or, or once in you know the existence of the Earth occurrence happen, or was it just a con man playing games with gullible hicks? So you you talked about Sagan before, and then Occam's Razor. I take that to mean that. For you, you were taking more of a rationalist approach, that more like rejecting the whole idea of that spiritualism altogether, not just in the case of Joseph Smith. Yes, I mean, I try. <laughs> I, you know, I can't say that I'm, I'm, you know, I, I do that to a, to a perfection, but you know, I, I try to be, uh, you know, deductive in my reasoning, you know, about this. I, I, I don't really subscribe to any spiritual path, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, I, I'm not a very, uh, I'm not one who puts much stock in, in religion. So speaking of spiritual experiences, um, when you were an active believing member, did you have any spiritual experiences? Uh, now, now, I guess try to avoid recontextualizing <laughs> them. I mean, that you would have said were spiritual experiences at the time. Well, we, we, we retextualize everything that we do, you know, from, of, you know, even when we were believing Mormons, but you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a pretty interesting topic in itself. Yeah. yeah but true. yeah, I guess, yeah, you could say that I had spiritual experiences. Um, I had times where I felt peaceful uh, and I had emotions that you could, you know, that you could say were, uh, you know, feeling at ease and, and, you know, one with, you know, my, my fellow man in the universe. But, you know, at the end, I was still kind of feeling empty after that, that after the endorphin rush was over and I crashed, you just want more. You know, it's like any drug. Right. And, you know, it, it just built on top of each other. And you can never quite get where you want. I was always frustrated with with uh, with that aspect of the church. And maybe that's why I, I never really, uh, you know, could, could claim to be very spiritual either. Is because I, I, I just, it's hard for me to get emotional about about something so external yeah that makes sense so what was the hardest part of the church for you to let go of hmm. uh, i would probably say the the allegory of the temple was one thing you know the the temple experience um maybe the that's why I, I ran to Freemasonry <laughs> a few years after leaving leaving the church. Um, and, uh, yeah, I would say the, the whole temple experience, but at the same time, 
you know, I, I feel very differently about the temple now than when I left the church. You know, that's interesting because um, in the previous podcast with Seth Payne, he brought up that the temple is a reoccurring theme of something that annoys a lot of people. It just goes to show that we each, you know, interpret and um, digest it differently because to you that was more something that was uh, a something to be lost when you left. Yeah, I mean, I also knew kind of what I was getting into thanks to Google, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it uh, I knew that it wasn't, you know, the, the, the curtains would part and, you know, I would be, you know, given, you know, the, you know, some secret knowledge or, or something. It was, it was more of a song and dance. You know, I wonder if that's possible that Google will have the, um, the, uh, reverse effect. I remember reading about when the um, Freemasonry ceremonies were first published, that mm -hmm. there was uproar among the Freemasons that this was, you know, awful. Of course, you weren't supposed to reveal the secrets. But it turned yeah. out that most of the people reading them and, and using them were Freemasons, and it was used to kind of improve the, the ceremony and make sure they were on target and, and to memorize it, that it, it turned out to be a net positive for them. And then maybe the same right for for young Mormons who Google the temple ceremony. They're better prepared. They're not as uh, frightened or taken aback when they go through that. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll play into the church's hands. I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. People try to make a you know a direct comparison between Mormonism and Masonry, but uh, to to a degree, they're very similar in the mechanics of the ceremony. But the meaning of the ceremony is very different, you know, depending on who you talk to. I mean, but yes, three Masons, what they think of the ceremony, and you'll get six different interpretations of it as well. Right. I, I'm not a Freemason. I, I've read quite a bit. It's been an interesting subject to me. And I look at Freemasonry in the church the same way. I don't know. Joseph Smith was riffing on Protestant services. If you look at Mormon chapels, you look at the way the service is organized, he was obviously borrowing ideas not from the Book of Mormon or not from the Bible, but from American Protestant culture. Similarly, yeah. and that that was one of Joseph Smith's talents, to take what was around him and incorporate that and, and uh, refeed it back to, to people in a way that kind of packaged the old in a new way. And I think he was doing the same thing with Freemasonry. He was just riffing on it. Yeah, I could also to you know he was a very politically minded individual as well, and being a, accepted as a Mason uh, in that day and age was was very beneficial to one's standing in society, uh, and you know it's the that's waned over time, but uh, you can still kind of see it as as a way to have another social network. Um, so, as you've you've been involved in the, uh, you know, the disaffected Mormon underground online for quite some time, and what do you think are the biggest challenges in terms of that the church faces today? The challenge presented by by the, the internet and, and by the internet um, access to information is always detrimental to tyrannical groups uh, and. And uh, I, I think that the the more people see that there's other individuals out there who are struggling with the same questions and the same issues, uh, the more easy it is to wrap your head around the fact that things can change and that you can, can take control of your life. 
I think the internet empowers people. So on a related note with this um, podcast, Mormon Expression, what's your goal in participating? Uh, my goal is to, I don't know, I, I, I like the sound of my own voice. Does that count? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I like to talk, and I love to talk about Mormonism, um, because even though I've, I've left the, the, you know, the mainstream LDS church behind, you know, it, it is still a part of my culture. Uh, and it's, it's always something that's going to be in the back of my mind. You, you can't get, you know, you can't be in it for 25 years and then step outside of it and say, oh, well, I, you know, I guess that's it. You know, it's, it, it's a very all encompassing kind of mentality that even that remains with me, you know, even today. That, that's true. And as I have a lot of, um, ex-Mormon friends who've been out now five, six, seven, eight or more years, um, it sticks with everybody to some extent, but people like you and me who keep engaging at the level we do are are a little bit rare. I mean, most people sort of step away. Why do you think we, we keep it up? What What is it about it that we can't let it go? Uh, that's a good question. OCD. Uh, <laughs> there could be several reasons. I, I don't want to play armchair psychologist, but, you know, I... You know, I think I have a tendency to focus on, on certain things, and Mormonism, you know, was something that I focused on inside the church, or when I was inside the church, you know, I, I don't see that necessarily as changing when I'm outside as well. Um, I guess, you know, it's, it's something that was very life-changing, and I, I, I'm just trying to understand myself better. And by participating, you know, in the podcast and on the boards and, and it, it just is kind of, you know, tells me more about myself and gives me a sounding board, not just for Mormonism, but for, for other topics as well. Yeah, and it's kind of an unfair question. I mean, if you devoted as much time to college football or model railroads or ham radio, I mean, no one would bat an eye, you know, it's, uh, but you devote right. the time to... You know, like Mormon studies and the uh, and the internet and the boards, and and some people think it's uh, unbecoming. But I I find that those people tend to want to control the message. You, you know, it's not just that they think it's distasteful that you're participating; it's that they want you to shut up. Yeah, I mean, and that was the big thing is you know because when I initially left the church, I, I had my participation on 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 the boards specifically. I mean, for six months, I, I participated at exmormon.org, uh, you know, at a, at a constant, pretty constant pace. But also I had a blog on the side too, that, uh, I just write pages and pages and pages of, you know, information of, uh, you know, what I've experienced in the church and, and what I disagreed with and, you know, where I stood at that moment. And at the time it was, it was pretty full of bile and, and anger, you know, and that's calmed down to a degree. Yeah. I mean, it, it does uh, wane with time and, you know, I find myself more interested in, you know, my, mine are, my interests are really the doctrine and how it changed over time. And then, then the kind of the culture and even the, the subculture of, of how the apologists and the ex Mormons and the post Mormons and all that interact that becomes a, a thing in and of itself. 
Um, so, so I, I see that as fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's definitely constructive, you know, it's, it's helped me learn a lot about academia. That's for sure. And you know, what constitutes truth? All right. Well, Jim, it's been, it's been fun chatting with you. Do you have a email you want to throw out there? If people want to contact you? Uh, sure. Uh, it's uh, James at uh, mormonexpressions.com. James at mormonexpression.com. All right. That works. Um, thanks again. Thank you. All right. If you want to follow up uh, with this podcast or any of the others, be sure to check us out at mormonexpression.com. Uh, you can call and leave a message at 801-906-6722, or you can email us at mail at mormonexpression.com. Our music is provided by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com.